That song, that line, His grace still amazes me, has been very much my goal uh, as we preach through the Galatians, is that you would be amazed with the grace of God and so consequently be amazed by God. I think that if we walk through life being amazed by God, it keeps us from being amazed from such lesser things. And thus we have trust and obedience and we glorify God and Consequently, we live the life that he intended when we're amazed by God. We're coming to the end today, Galatians 6, and uh, I, I have dreaded this day, honestly. Um, I, I, I get really tight with these guys <laughs> in Galatians. Uh, I, I think every time I preach a book, uh, I never want it to end. I, I think this is the best book ever, and um, I, so whatever I'm preaching is the best book ever, and um, it's been seven months now, and, and uh, honestly, there's a very much, uh, I come to this time with, with some sadness, uh, because it has meant so much to me. Um, and I've been blessed and challenged and learned so much as I study Galatians, and I, I pray that you have as well. Um, but I tell you, there's nothing like studying it for yourself and sharing it with someone else. Uh, it's, it's a joy to be able to do. And so, uh, this morning we'll look at verses 11 through 18, Galatians 6, um, and there's no more. There's an amen at the end, so I guess that's it. Um, you know, as, as I read, read this, it, we're going to look at the contrast that Paul brings at the very end between those who, what I would call religiously, are religious dependent, um, versus those who are dependent on the grace of God. And he contrasts these two ways of thinking these two modes of operating, religious dependent and grace dependent. Um, and he does it in a way of what we boast in. What do we, what do we joy in? What's, what's our, our excitement? I, I think about that and I, as I was growing up. I remember reaching for some physical achievements every once in a while where I would, uh, I remember in middle school, I was, got a big kick out of winning the presidential fitness award and, and working toward that. And I remember, and even in seminary, we were doing, uh, I uh, had football, intramural football, and um, our, the team that I was on, we won two years, uh, the, the championship of, of seminary uh, intramural football, which, you know, <laughs> the level of that's going to be a little low. Um, but, you know, we got a keychain. You know, I got a keychain, I got a badge for President Fitness, and I've got a, uh, I got a t-shirt the next year. Uh, which is so disgusting now that I wouldn't ever want to wear it in front of uh, anybody else. And, you know, I think about these things that for that moment in time just absorbed me. And I thought, man, and I, I saw it as a goal and I worked toward it, I looked toward it, and uh, when I won it, I thought, oh, it feels good for a day. And and now I, I don't even know where those keychains and badges are. And, uh, you know, it, it's the, the trophies of these world, the things that we boast in, given time, usually just are so insignificant. And at best, it is a maybe a good memory. At best, that's all it becomes at, at some point in our life. Um, and if it is really more than that, we call them disillusional. We call them strange. If, if our trophies in the past uh, become our identity, if I'm talking to you and say, man, I wish you could have seen me 20 years from now, or 20 years ago, if you could have just seen me 20 years ago, and I was just talking about that, we'd call them strange. We'd call them delusional. But man, you, you just you live for something more. And 
you know, what Paul is bringing to us in Galatians 6, at the very end, he's saying, you know, those of us who have our trophies in this world, your sights are so low. Your sights are so low. You're messed up. And, and so, uh, with that thought of mind, let's look at these contrasts that we've got in Galatians 6. And uh, let's uh, read this together. And in honor of what we're reading, this being God's word, let's stand as we read this. If you'll read silently as I read to you, verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. You may be seated. Verse 11, we have this kind of interruption of uh, writing and, and thought by saying, look, uh, I'm going to pick up the stylus. I'm going to start writing now. It was kind of commonplace for uh, Paul to use a, um, a secretary who would write, an ammunicist who would write uh, the letter. And, uh, but at the end, it was often also common for him to sign off, to say, look, this really is from me. And so the writing in large letters, folks have you know, said, well, that's because he's got bad eyesight, evidently, or could have been that he was just uh, a way of stressing something. They didn't have quotation marks in Greek, so they'd have the large capital letters. It could be either one. All that we could really pick up from this is there's something in this writing style of large letters that was unique to Paul. That was a signature, so to speak, of Paul's. And so he's saying, look, here it is. You know this is from me, what I'm writing to you. And so he picks up that stylus, and from this point on, uh, this is in Paul's writing, if we could have seen that in the, the original writings. And so we come to verse 12. Uh, and he starts talking about, uh, in verse 12 and 13, those opposition parties, so to speak, uh, that are in the church of Galatia. We've heard a lot about them in this letter. These are the ones who were called Judaizers, or they were uh, ones who were from Jerusalem, who were Christians who had some profession of Jesus Christ, uh, but were going to Galatia and other regions and, and trying to encourage them to not forsake the law and, and instead to uh, conform to the Jewish way of thinking. So it's it's not just Jesus Christ, it's Jesus Christ and be a Jew. Jesus Christ and be circumcised, which was the symbolic act of becoming a Jew. Jesus Christ and the ceremonial laws, the ritual laws, the dietary laws. And so in, in essence, they were not presenting Christ in replace of anything. It was Christ and, it was just simply addition. Where Paul is saying, no, it's always been in what Christ has done because you're not saved by the works that you do. And so he's talking about these, uh, the religious Jews, the zealots who are coming in, and, and he's speaking one more stab against what they're doing in the church of Galatia and that region uh, of the area. And so he says, let me describe what they're doing. And I just want you to understand that this is the way of thinking for religious dependent. All right? Those who are dependent on religion. Uh, I was thinking about what I've been preaching last few months, and I realized that most of what I've been gearing toward 
are, I'm preaching toward members of our church, our churches, whether they're a member of our church or not, who are content and just being a member of church and doing the external show of what religion looks like. And I think Paul is speaking to you as well. And he has very severe words for those of us who are depending merely on religion and the external show. And he wants you to understand, to be very clear, that it's, that your confidence and your performance is badly misplaced. And the only thing worse than going to hell is going to hell thinking you're going to heaven. And so Paul is just hitting hard on this. And uh, he again, we've got this, this harsh comment in verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. What, what's the way of thinking for those who are religiously dependent? Well, first of all, they do a merely external show and tell. Okay? They have a merely external show and tell. That's the, who want to make a good showing in the flesh. Alright? And what they can do. You remember going to grade school? Having show and tell? That was the best. That was, the, that was outside of, of PE, going outside of play, and lunch. Show and tell. I mean, I gotta bring something from home, and the, the goal of good show and tell is to bring something from home that when you present it to the people or to the, to your classmates, and you tell them what it is, they go, oh. And then you're like, ah, yeah, I succeeded. You know, I, I got the best thing. And, and we still have that mentality of show and tell, so that we have such religious show that people go, Oh, man, I'm not going to mess with them. Or, I'm going to get them to pray for me. Because they're really right with God. Look at what they do. And and our idea is still to impress in our religious show and tell. And that's what Paul is saying, is that they, they do these things to make a good showing in the flesh. To earn respect before God and before others by how we live our life. What we do and don't do. This is flesh. Remember how we described flesh? Flesh is it's not just the biological of what's, what you're made up, but it is the way of thinking in which you are the center of the universe. It is your ego. It is to look at your life and figure that all things are here for your own good. You're, you're prideful. Uh, in fact, you get defensive when someone attacks your pride because you want to show everyone else how worthy you really are in your own eyes. Okay, and so it's this constant work, and it goes out in every in in almost every direction in our life, uh, and, and we can earn respect and love by our work, by how we dress, by our body, by our mind, and and we go through all these ways of trying to earn this, and 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 what Paul is saying is religion is just one other way. You're doing the same things if you're using religion to for show and tell. Who, want, who would force you to be circumcised only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So what else do they do? Well, the, the way of religious dependent, the way of their thinking is that they want to seem acceptable to other religious people. 
They want to seem acceptable to other religious people. And so here these folks are. They're, they're wanting them to be circumcised so that they would not be persecuted for uh, the cross of Christ. In other words, as long as they are conforming to the religion of the day, to the Jewish system of the day, and say, I'm not trying to make folks who are no longer Jews. He said, I'm making them Jews and, and I'm making them conform to what religious people say today. Because if these folks, like Paul, start saying you're saved only by the grace of God, and by the cross of Jesus Christ, nothing else, then they become marked and targeted by the Roman government, but also by the Jewish system. And so they want to look right in front of others, be acceptable to them. Someone has described this as uh, these folks were avoiding pokes and winning strokes. Uh, And that's pretty well sums up. They're trying to Win the strokes from other people and avoid the pokes from other people. It has something to do with the love of the praise of mankind and the fear of the opposition of mankind. It has something to do with putting mankind and yourself as the main motive for living. Yourself becomes your God. And so he goes on. It says, verse 13, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. In other words, they have such stress and circumcision on this religious Working of the law, but they themselves do not do the entirety of the law. And so, why do this at all? You see, the folks who are religiously dependent overlook their own sin. Here's what I mean. Jerry Bridges said it this way. We have refined sins. And we will grossly, or we will um, be very strict on condemning the sins that are very obvious. But when it comes to our own sins, we try to make sure they're refined. All right? What, 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 what I'm saying? Well, refined sins are those of nice people who regularly commit these sins, but still are able to retain their positions as deacons, as teachers, as pastors, as leaders in the community. You get that? But if, if there's other sins they do, then they get that knocked out. I mean, if you do some sexual immoral sins... Um, you have some sins of money, man, you're out. So you avoid those and you're, and you're very diligent to condemn them, condemn those sins. But you have your own refined sins that everyone knows and everyone seems to do. And so consequently, you don't have the same consequence where you're taken out of community. All right? You still are able to maintain your reputation and your position. Refined, refined sins. I mean, really... Is it really all that bad to be critical of someone else in front of, in front of them or in front of some, some other people? I mean, I can be talking about Greg and, and talking about how, man, you know what? Can you believe what he did? What? And, and I'm telling that to Jimmy. And that seems okay because that's just good conversation. And we'll joke about it and we'll laugh about it. But as we look in the Bible and the Word of God and, and we realize that criticism and, and being critical of people is actually judging them and you're saying that before someone else, we realize, well, wait a second, that, that, that too is a sin, but it's okay because it's prevalent. We, we seem to overlook our own sin. Or it could be gossiping, or it could be, you know, that you just resent someone, and everyone knows that you resent them, but you know what? It's, it's, it's okay. They're just going to deal with it. Or maybe some bitterness of some sort, or unforgiveness, unforgiving spirit, impatience, irritability. I mean, there's all numbers of sins that we think, you know, this is just who I am. They're refined. They don't, they don't knock me out, do they? They don't knock me out. 
a reputation. I, I still can get strokes because everyone else does them too. Paul's bringing this up and says, look, you need to understand what makes sin so heinous is not whether you think it's acceptable socially or not. What makes sin heinous is that there is a majestic, infinite, sovereign God that has commanded it. That's what makes sin wrong. That's what makes gossip wrong is that God, this infinite, majestic, sovereign one, says that this is not part of love. It's not part of me. And what makes it heinous is not whether the community says it's wrong. It's that God says it's wrong. But those who are religiously dependent have figured out what other religious people like. And they stick to those things. And if other religious people overlook it, then they overlook it themselves. The problem is that mankind has become their God. Religiously dependent. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the, keep the law. Look at them. They overlook their own sin. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh or exult in your flesh. They use those who are religiously dependent. Use religious achievement as a point of pride. Use religious achievement as a point of pride. Notice what these folks are doing there. They're looking and they say, look at my numbers, look at my statistics. I'm a missionary, I'm in the region of Galatia, and we had 200 people circumcised. <laughs> we look at that like, what? You know, but in that day and time, just replace it with the word baptized and you might get the idea. Okay? Uh, we got 200 people baptized. Look at how godly we are. Respect me. Fear me. Because of what I can do. In religion. All right. And so that's what he's bringing out their motives. They desire to have you circumcised that they may. It's not because they're really seeking you to get right with God. It's not because their heart's breaking for you. It's not because they love God so much. It's because they want to boast in their numbers. They want to exalt in what they've done in religion. We need to be careful. I, I, I'm reading this and I'm, this hits, it's hits. Just to be honest, I mean, there's a part of me as a pastor who says, man, I feel better. I feel better because more people listen to me. I feel that I can make that part of my identity. And I can get devastated when it's in the middle of July and folks are on vacation. (laughs) You know, and I just get all hurt. I take it personal. You know, that's. That's flesh, though. You need to understand that. That is not something that needs to be encouraged in any way. But I'm, what I'm saying is I deal with this. I struggle with this. And I think the more we're in church, sometimes it's easier for us to start adapting these religious methods and religious sources to hold on to. And Galatians written for us to say, beware, watch out for that Don't go down that way. Don't exult in religious achievement. And so we go to verse 14. And and he gives a contrast here. The way we looked at the way of thinking for the religious religious dependent. Now let's look at the way of thinking for the grace dependent. Verse 14. But far be it from me to boast. Alright? So God forbid, far be it from me. To boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are grace dependent 
uses Christ's achievement as the point, as the point of pride. Uses the work of Christ as the point of pride. And that's what Paul is saying. You know, they're boasting in these things and religious achievement, boasting in the fact that you got circumcised and they can tell their religious buddies how many folks got circumcised because of you. He says, I don't boast in these things. I don't get my hope in this. I don't exalt in this. I don't delight in that. I don't have my security in that. My identity is not wrapped up in that. I boast only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He elaborated on this a little bit in Romans 3, verse 21 through 27. Paul writes there, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Which is the end of our pride right there. We're all guilty before God. On our good day we're guilty. On our bad day we're guilty. We're all guilty before God. And are justified. And here's the point of grace. Are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, that's the cross of Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to receive by faith. In other words, the cross of Christ satisfied God's wrath for your sin. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but the law of faith. In other words, when I look to my achievements, we need to understand that there's still filthy rags. It doesn't matter if I have all of Nightdale coming down and listen to me preach. That still is filthy rags before God. I mean, why is that a point of boasting? Uh, if we go to church all the time, if we give all this stuff, if we're being true to ourselves and, and being true to, uh, to being good to someone else and loving them and doing the best you can and just be sincere in all that you do, that still is as filthy rags before God and I need the grace of Christ through the cross. And that's what's given in Romans. 1 Corinthians 131. Therefore, as it is written, let one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So, we live in a society of the modern cult of self-esteem, okay? Where everything is about esteeming yourself and looking at yourself. And, and it's not very different from what Paul was dealing with in the Greek culture and Hellenistic culture. They valued all forms of human assertiveness as a badge of excellence and strength and virtue. They valued physical prowess, military feats, oratorical skills, intellectual acumen, political power, they valued monetary success, social status. All these things were things to be proud in and to glory in. Paul is saying all these things is as rubbish compared to cross of Christ. Because all these things are just like little keychains that you lose. Little t-shirts that get dirty with wear and tear and you forget about it. At best, it might be a good memory. But if you take your identity from that, you're messed up. You're delusional. Set your sight on something higher than that. It's interesting that he says, accept the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I boast in this. And that was such a strange thing. To boast in the cross of Christ. In our mind, just think of it this way. What the cross meant to them was, uh, well, lynching. Alright? I boast in the lynching of Christ. That just seems crazy. I mean, no one's really wearing necklaces with... Hangman's noose on their, 
You know, that's not something we don't have earrings like that. You know, we but it's it's a different society that we live in. But what Paul is saying is in that day and time akin to something like this of, of boasting in and Jesus's lynching. Uh, in fact, in, in reading about this, the Latin word crux was regarded as an expression so crude that no polite Roman would utter it in public. So they divide a euphemistic way of saying it, uh, something to the effect of hanging him on the unlucky tree. Because that, that word was just a, a rude and crude word. And Paul is saying what you deem as rude and crude and you don't even say it and whisper it for shame, I boast in. I boast in. Because of what Jesus did with that cross. What was accomplished on that cross. This idea of boasting in the cross of Christ. Let me, let me take it to you this way. What's your view of repentance? What's your view of someone confronting you and telling you about sin and you have to repent and confess of your sin? Now, to be honest, most of us are not going to think about that with hot, happy thoughts. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I, oh, I loved it so much last time. I, I'm, I wish someone would do that again to me. We don't do that, do we? We don't think that way. And part of the reason we don't is because of what we boast in. We boast in our ability to be obedient. We boast in our performance to be obedient. And we boast in our reputation. And so we see confession and repentance as a necessary evil. Uh, Let me share with you this letter that I, I came across um, it's a letter written by a, a man in Kenya, uh, works with the Navigators, uh, leader of the Navigators Ministry in Kenya, Africa. Um, his name is Musua, and I don't have to get Bernard to help me pronounce the last name. Um, something like Hahaini, some, something to that effect. Yeah, they're laughing. Okay. <laughs> um, so, this is what he writes to his, his leaders, or his followers in, in the Navigators Ministry. He says, we know, of course... How central the forgiveness of our sins is to salvation. We preach it. We believe in it. We see the first, that first repentance and surrender to Christ as a glorious moment. We also accept that having come to the Lord, we must continue to purify our lives. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But in talking with many believers, I get the impression that most of us consider the ongoing repentance of the saved as a not-so-glorious experience, a sort of sad necessity. Sin grieves God. We must not play down the seriousness of it in the life of a believer, but we must come to terms with the fact that God's grace is greater than all our sins. And this is what we've sung earlier. Repentance is one of the Christian's highest privileges. A repentant Christian focuses on God's mercy and God's grace. Any moment in our lives when we bask in God's mercy and grace is our highest moment. Higher than when we feel smug in our decent performance and cannot think of anything we need to confess. Whenever we fail, and fail we will, the Spirit of God will work on us and bring us to the foot of cross where Jesus carried our failures. This is potentially a glorious moment. For we could at that moment accept God's abundant mercy and grace and go forth without, with nothing to boast of except Christ himself. Or else we can struggle with our shame, focus on that as well as our track record, And we fail because we have shifted our attention from grace and mercy. One who draws in God's mercy and grace is quicker to repent, but also slow to sin. Think on that statement he said, that when we bask in God's mercy and grace, it is our highest moment, higher than when we feel smug in our decent performance and cannot think of anything we need to confess. 
Does that remind you of what we're reading here in 614? May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are we willing to live like that? Like this letter is saying, like Paul is stating, are we willing to rely on God's grace and his mercy alone instead of our performance? To boast in nothing except the cross. If that's true, then we can stop living about this good day, bad scenario and how we're better with Christ depending on whether we have a good day or a bad day. But instead, simply live in the grace of Christ. It is our joy, it is our confidence of, of this grace by which we now can pursue Holiness with Christ. This is part of what it means to boast in the cross. To know that I, if I have anything before God, it's only because of the cross. And in the temporal pleasures that I have today, whether it's health, whether it's children, whether it's food, whether it's air condition, to say that these things only have value because of the cross of Christ. Because what's the point of having these things if I am doomed for hell? To know that all these things are are bounties of His grace given to us that flow and have value because of the cross. So, we see Christ's achievement as the point of pride. That's the way of thinking of grace dependent. Let's keep on reading. It says, I boast nothing except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Those who are grace-dependent, they see Christ as far superior to the world system for defining themselves. Christ is far superior than the world system in defining themselves. The world, that's what it means. The world is the way this world thinks, the what it values, the system of this world has been crucified to me. This goes back to um, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. Christ lives in me. Life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What is he saying? Is that this world, this world has nothing for me. And this world has everything. But it has nothing for me. It's to say that my heart, my soul, my mind has been enraptured by something far greater than what this world has to give me. I remember this hit me one time, and I shared this with you some time ago, when I was uh, met one of my pastors in, in Mount Vernon Boone. He came in, he came up driving this old car. Um, it was, you know, it was like 11, 12 years old. Um, but it wasn't just that, it was just a poor quality car, you know. And uh, someone was asking about it, and he said, well, you know, I just learned a long time ago not to get my identity from the car. And when he said that, that made complete sense. But for some reason, it never did before. <laughs> I'd see that car go, ooh, that's nice. I want to be in that because people will think differently of me if I'm driving that. But to realize that car is not my identity. And when he said that, it's like, how can I make my identity in the car? That's ridiculous. That's just metal and it'll rust and it'll fall apart and it won't last long. It, why should I get identity from that? And, and so what I'm saying is that this applies now to everything in this world. I don't get my value, my identity, my joy. as It's not my greatest joy anymore of the things of this world. Now, we need to be very careful because that includes some very good things. Like your spouse. Your spouse is a gift from God. But if you make your spouse your source of identity, you put on them that they can't handle. And you wonder their marriage breaks up. 
struggles. You were not made to make your spouse your source of identity. Your children. Um, this hit me yesterday. We were driving and saw a license plate and it had a name of somebody's mom on the license plate. I thought, wow, she wants to be known as their mom. That's her identity. That's her life. That is a temporary measure. That is a temporary relationship. And we think about that. Well, you know, how can that be? I'm, I'm always a mom. Yes. In this world. In this world. But in heaven, everyone is God's child. Why is that? Because in heaven, our identity is based on that which is the greatest in the world, and that is God. Why do you want to be identified with something less than God? And so that's the idea, is that we don't take this world system and make it that which identifies us. The world is crucified to us. My heart has been stolen from this world and has been given to Jesus Christ. And it's, I love God not because I have to, not just because it's a duty. It's because He loves me and I want to love Him. I want to obey Him. I want to be identified by Jesus Christ because there is nothing greater. I've seen a glimpse of who Christ is, and I've seen it in comparison to what this world has to offer, and now because of the grace of Christ and winning my heart over, everything in this world pales to what Christ is. And so, what does Paul have to say about that? Well, you know, interesting enough, not only in Galatians 2.20, Philippians 3.8, Paul says, indeed, I count everything as lost, and everything he was referring to was a lot of religious achievements. Heritage. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Rubbish. Dung. Dirt. Trash heap. Stuff that you don't want to touch. The things that this world lifts up and says live for it. Love it. Die for it. When you see Christ you realize that's trash. Christ is so much more. So C.S. Lewis said, why are we settling for mud puddles when we could have a holiday by the sea? Why are we settling for the mud puddles of this world? This world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So when the cross came, Jesus died, the world died, and I died to the world. In other words, the world can no longer lay claim on me. I'm no longer subject to the value system of this world. When Christ set me free, He set me free indeed. He died on the cross for the purpose of setting me free to experience the life that God intended for us to have, to know the love of God. Now, keep on reading. Verse 15. What does it mean to be grace-dependent? What's this way of thinking, grace-dependent? Well, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So this is in contrast to the Judaizer who says, man, you've got to be circumcised. That, that's important. He says, you know what? That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You see, they, those who are grace-dependent now, they learn to depend on God's eternal work in their life for their salvation and not just the external show. He says, circumcised, uncircumcised, baptized, unbaptized, being a member of the church, not being a member, giving, singing in the choir. You know what? None of that counts. What counts is that we are a new creation. 
that God is doing a miracle in my life. And it's going from the inside out. He uh, sounds very similar to Galatians 5.6. Uh, Galatians 5.6, just one page over. Um, he said it this way. From Christ, Jesus, neither circumcision nor our uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So what does this mean to be a new creation? Well, from Paul, what he's saying here, being a new creation is involving faith working through love. Faith, trust in what? Trust in the grace of God. Trust that God has saved you. Trust that, that when you end this day, that when God sees you, he sees you as as righteous as Jesus. That takes a little faith because I know what I'm like. That's the faith that the Spirit of God is there with me now, that He's in my life, and that the resources of God Himself is at my disposal to live the life that God's called me to do. That takes faith. To know that God is for me takes a little bit of faith to trust in that, but that is that which you live by, and that faith makes it so your life no longer revolves around yourself, but love. Love where it's around God. And now, because it's around God, now you can freely, for the first time, loving someone else. Because before that, loving someone else meant loving them so that they would treat you better. And in in actuality, it was a love of yourself. But now, how they treat you no longer matters. Because it's about God. And so, this faith working through love. That is to say, this new creation is that we're walking in the step of the Spirit. I remember, when I became a believer, I, I was a freshman in high school. 14 year old and I grew up in church and I knew how how to do the external all right it wasn't circumcision but I I knew baptism I knew how to talk right I knew how to go to Sunday school I knew all the answers in Sunday school class uh I even knew how to witness to someone and I did it Um, I knew that type of stuff I knew the bible I read it but you know what bothered me is when people start talking about relationship with God when they, and I can sense in their life, that they really loved God. And they talked about how God was leading them by the Spirit. And directing them. That bothered me. Because I didn't have that. You know what won me over? It wasn't how to live a good life. I knew how to do that and realized there wasn't that much to it. But I wanted to have a relationship with God. I wanted something new in my life. A new heart. I wanted to be a new creation. And for those who are grace dependent, they realize that's what matters most. What God has done in their life. Interesting, when Jesus was with the disciples and he sent out 72 missionaries to go out and to proclaim the kingdom of God, they came back and according to Luke 10, verse 17, verse through 20, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like a lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you, they give me authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. That's pretty impressive. I mean, think about that. You know, you got the whole exorcist thing going on, you know, demon possession and you say, be gone, Satan, and then go. I mean, that's something to be excited about. I mean, you've got authority, over nature itself, scorpions, the power of enemies, serpents, nothing shall hurt you. Man, that's kind of like Superman. But notice what he says. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. 
but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Spiritual achievements are never meant to be the source of joy. Never meant to be the source of identity. Never to be the things that you delight in, but you rejoice. And you never get over that one singular miracle that God did. And that was that He forgave you of your sins. He gave you His Holy Spirit. He called you a son, a daughter in Jesus Christ. And He says, you are mine and I am for you. You never get over that miracle. And when you get over that miracle and you start getting on other things, it shows that you left the grace of God and now you're starting to be dependent on what you can do. It is that rejoicing in what God has done that fuels everything else. The joy of the Lord, let it be your strength. Let it be your strength. And so he says in verse 16, and as all for who walk by this rule, this measuring rod. In other words, you're, you're walking by, by the Spirit of God. You are valuing the cross of Christ, not in your works. Uh, you, you are valuing that internal work of being a new creation. You see Christ is far superior to this world than anything that this world can do for you. You're, you're crucified to the world and the world's to you. And so for those of you who walk this way, who walk by the Spirit of Christ, no, going by this rule, and this is why I challenge you, Make this rule in your life every day. Are you walking by the grace of God? Are you walking dependent on the Spirit of God? Are you in step with God's Spirit? Walk by this rule, this rule of love. Those who are doing this, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. In other words, the Jews who follow Jesus Christ. Essentially, this is, this is the signing off period. This is where, if you read some of the other letters of Paul, uh, you, you start seeing some, some gushiness of like, greet all the saints in Christ Jesus as you, as you read in Philippians. As you read in, in Corinthians and Thessalonians, he says, uh, send out holy kisses, you know? <laughs> but here, you don't get that. You get mercy and peace upon them, upon the Israel of God, but only to those who walk according to this rule. Verse 17. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What is he saying? He says, as I've stepped in the Spirit, as I've walked and followed Him, it's taken me to places where I've been persecuted because I said that we're saved by grace and not by becoming a Jew. And I've been stoned, I've been hurt, I've been whipped many times, but I see these just as a continuation of Christ's suffering. So when He's being whipped, and when He's being stoned in Lystria, He sees this as, Jesus, these whippings belong to you. These whippings belong to you. Because I'm walking in your spirit. And I bear on the body the marks of Jesus. That that phrase also in that mind would have been reminiscent of slaves and those who worship what was called mystery religions. Slaves, often when they uh, were enslaved to someone else, they would mark their body. Sometimes by a tattoo, sometimes by a piercing that would mark them as belonging to that one. Those who were in mystery religions often would have some kind of tattoo that they would put on themselves to mark that they were following this religion. And Paul says, you know what? I don't have that, that all mark in my ear. I don't have that thing, but look at my back. It's got, it's got marks all over it. Look at the bruises, the broken bones, the... Uh, the, the bones out of joint, the scars, he says, these are marks of my love with Jesus. These marks are his marks. In verse 18, 
This verse now seems so more significant when we know about the grace of Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This grace, what I've been trying to tell you, is let this grace be with you. Rejoice in it. Live in it. Depend on it. Let it be your greatest delight, your greatest boast as it's expressed in the cross. And let there be an amen in your heart about this. Will you live off the grace of Christ? Self-exalters desire to make good show of religious rituals. Grace-dependent makes a good show of Christ. Self-exalters fear persecution or rejection from men more than they cherish the cross of Christ. Christ-exalters expect and accept persecution from a world that crucified Christ. Self-exalters regard outward forms, some kind of religious life. But Christ-exalters regard an inner new creation. Self-exalters remove the stumbling block of the cross. They ignore it. They pretend like it's not there because it proclaims them guilty and sinners. Grace-dependent, relish it. They know they're guilty and sinners. And that's why they cherish the cross. We cherish the cross. Let's pray.